give that shit up, you can concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Hi everybody and welcome to a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Massey and Paul. This is episode 6 of season 3. If it is your first time listening, I would advise to go back to the start and listen from episode 1, as we will refer to previous shows from time to time. This show does contain film spoilers, so if you have not yet seen the film, I would advise watching it first, it might help you understand a little bit better. And now for today's show, I hope you enjoy. Today we are joined with Massey and Paul, as always. How are you lads? Hello there guys, how are you all? Hello. Hello. Good, and I'm delighted to say we've got Owen Mooney on with us today. Owen, oh, look, I suppose you people probably know you from Rockland, and they probably know you from as a from Man, but you're currently with Dublin GA. Um, do you want to give a small background yourself to what you got you to your current role? Thanks, Colin, for having me on, and uh, good to see you, uh, Massey and Paul. Yeah, so kind of uh, short synopsis, I started initially my coaching journey when I was 15, done an AFA course, um, done a bit of coaching, teaching my own club, club development officer, but that all kind of came about by being uh, in the Department of Education, um, Denny program, physical literacy coaches, so working from primary one to four, so junior infants, the second class equivalent. Now, we were initially in schools all the time, so in Fermanagh, uh, we had 26 control school or sorry 26 maintained schools so catholic schools and then we would have to uh, go into control schools protestant schools as well as special needs because it wasn't just an ulcer ga initiative because it was department of education and it was cross community so the ifa were on board with us also they had their own bank of coaches so we would have linked with them in relation to cross community initiatives cross schools and working together across organizations as well but we would have done a lot of work in the clubs as well. So creating that kind of school club link initiative and um, getting the children from four, five, six years of age into the club, but mostly letting the clubs know what we were doing. So we would do some foundation courses with clubs, with teachers, um, linking in kind of open days, fun days, just getting that awareness of what we were doing in specific clubs. After that, then I uh, was seconded then the Ulster Ladies um, Gaelic Football as Provincial Development Officer. I um, was in there for about a year and a half as um, maternity cover for Sheen Natalia at the time. And then I went back into my initial role with Ulster GA. So that was huge for me because it showed exactly where I wanted to be in terms of club development and want to push myself on. And Ulster GA were great. Like the in service that we got with Dr. Eugene Young. Um, Terence McWilliams especially and all my other colleagues who were involved with us we were it was intense being together all the time challenging each other in terms of our coaching our sessions what would happen if a child happened to go to the toilet in the middle of class how would you deal with it and that all happened on in service so all of that kind of lent itself then to just further developing ourselves then I got the best opportunity I've got in a while and it's, I'd, I would include that in, in relation to Dublin as well, because Rockland was just, was a dream. Um, and I know we're going to talk about Rudy and very similar in terms of, I'd always wanted to work in America. I'd spent a couple of summers as, um, with Kids Corporation um, in relation to summer schools and summer camps. And I said, if I got the opportunity to dig roads in America, I would go. And fortunately, I got the role with Rockland GA's Games Development Officer had a blank slate, clean bill of whatever I wanted to do, I could do it within reason. And in fairness, I did kind of um, take that to the nth degree um, in terms of pushing things forward and challenging people. But again, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had that background with Ulster GA and you know what I had been involved with Ulster. Then my fiance at the time, my now wife, I got a six-month career break with the, uh, or sorry, a four-year career break with the HSE, and she was she was a physio, still is a physio, so but then a job came up six months into her four-year career break, and it was too good to turn down. So her dream coming home and um, working at home happened to be then that I had to come home then, 
So it was around the time of the Games Development Conference when it presented. So um, I said, Damien Lawler, let the crowd know before some other people knew that it was coming home, um, that uh, Kira had accepted a job. We were coming home the next few months. And in fairness, that was good because it gave, put the feelers out. Um, so when it did come home, I was doing workshops and basically keeping the car on the road because I was living with Kira's mum and dad in Galway, living with her family. So I had no expenses. I was enjoying it like I was... I was only covering my expenses. I got out to different clubs around in Limerick and Tip, obviously from Anna, Tyrone, et cetera, and all over the place. And then the Special Olympics job came up um, as National Coach and Sport Development Coordinator. Fantastic opportunity. I wasn't in there for too long. I was there for eight months. And then the Dublin Limerick um, Game Development Officer uh, position came up. It was too good to turn down, mainly because of my research um, with the doctor professional practice with Leeds Beckett, my research and my work um, were closely aligned more if I went to Dublin. So that was the main reason. Um, didn't want to leave Special Olympics because of the people who are involved, the athletes, the coaches, the coach developers, brilliant organisation. But again, the GA was what I knew and it was probably always going to come back to the GA at some point. I didn't expect it to be so soon and you know, I've been very fortunate to have the opportunities that I've had and, you know, I know we're going to talk with Rudy and it's payment is a big thing. And again, um, in everything that I've, I've been fortunate to be involved with, one of the, one of my friends in Rockland, when I first got there, told my background, meeting Kira, how I met Kira, et cetera, and all that there and all the opportunities I had. And he kind of said, you're extremely fortunate. If you fell out of the Empire State Building at the very top, you'd fall upwards. You know, that sense of timing and, you know, just um, putting yourself out there. And Rudy does that a lot, and I know we're going to talk about that. So um, very fortunate to be where I am. Um, and I know things haven't been, obviously, always great along the journey, but it is a journey. And yeah. up to how, you, how you overcome obstacles that will kind of make your own development more worthwhile. Excellent. Um, good introduction. Um, what make you, what, I suppose, look, we're, we're talking about Rudy. I don't know if I said it really go, but what um, made you choose this film? Oh, that's a question that I've kind of thought and I thought was going to come up. Um, the, like, I could have chosen so many different films and uh, Hoosiers would have been one Friday Night Lights. In terms of sport and in terms of an actual sport film, Rudy was more in line with me and kind of my own reflections on the film haven't watched it and um, I'm kind of because of the restrictions and um, I'm kind of giving my wife a little bit of an education in relation to films and uh, box sets and really was one that was really surprising after she watched it, it was born right at Korea but just the whole uh, You're not married to Colum, are you? The main reason why I picked it was just he is so honest and he has a dream and nothing is going to get in the way of that dream. Now, he is very confident to go in pursuit of that dream. And no matter what obstacle is put in front of him. And another aspect was like I have a few friends who are uh, Notre Dame alumni and uh, ones in Rockland and ones who have worked with a, a kids corporation in relation to the summer camps in America. So that whole aspect of it being based on a true story. Now, there's a few things that are obviously made for Hollywood, but that's true of any film. And it's kind of the power of having a dream and having resilience, being um, aware of, you know, whatever you want to achieve and whatever you want to do, go and pursue it. It's not going to be easy. And you're going to have so many obstacles in your way. But the journey and the relationships that you're going to build along that journey and what you're going to learn of yourself, of the people around you, of your family, because Rudy has difficulties with, has a difficulties with the family, um, and really with his relationship with his father, his brother, and him, and the brother kind of being the favourite son a little bit in a way, um, and him being, you know, the fact that he needed to take probably three or four steps back to go forward. You know, and that he wasn't afraid to do that. He wasn't afraid to go up the ladder and to uh, take part and have do an apprenticeship, for want of a better word, at you know at Holy Cross College. You know, mm. and but all the people along that journey that helped them, that helped them um, in relation to 
he's not afraid to open up. You know, he's not afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And that's very um, resonates with the way we are now in relation to the restrictions and, you know, the difficulties that some people are having, a lot of people are having is, you know, we're, we should, the relationships that we build are extremely important, whether it's work, family, friends, sport in particular. You know, those relationships are not just sport relationships, they're real life relationships. And, you know, Rudy is one of the films that kind of encapsulates that. And, you know, it's, it's the underdog and we all love an underdog a little bit as well, but it's the, um, one of the last things is he, because of when he achieved his dream of getting those few seconds and sacking the quarterback um, against Georgia Tech, he still had a, a chai like um, innate sense of creativity, imagination, again, and that sense in relation to my research with children and play, you know, that innate dream kind of wanes as we get older sometimes, you know, so no matter what age you are, like your dreams are, you know, going to can make life bearable sometimes, you know, where you want to go. And um, Rudy is definitely one kind of film that encapsulates that and loads of learnings and reflections from it, not only in like my own life and my own research, but definitely in my coaching, I've taken a lot from the actual film itself. Yeah. And like, look, I think the opening scene, the opening, that's the opening minute, it kind of, it breaks down the whole show for us, you know, the small, he was obviously younger than all the brothers and whoever there he was playing with, but he was, he was a smaller man taking, a smaller person taking on everybody else. But the, I think, and just something, again, going back to your research, like they were out playing. He fostered the love of the game. Um, one, because his father loved Notre Dame and did, that's who they watched every Sunday or every Saturday. Um, but also being able to go out and actually play and play with your brothers and play with your siblings and friends and you're in your neighbourhood. And like that's a huge part of of the film, and, and also playing in the snow it wasn't just like, yeah. you know, like yeah, playing playing the home like you had a whole like, lot. Yeah, in, in Ireland, well, in Ireland, like if it was raining outside, how many kids yeah. are you going to see out playing? You know, no such thing as bad weather as the Norwegians say; it's just bad clothing. So exactly, yeah. just let go out, and go out and let them play, and especially the size of them as well. You know, mm. and want to play American football for Notre Dame college ball like that's. Like that is a big, big dream, you know, for the size of him. And again, his lack of physical and technical skills in relation to the game. But again, he never gave up. And it was that sense of, listen, nothing is going to stand in my way. And that resilience that he built along the way um, is definitely resonates with myself and people probably who have watched it as well. Yeah. And like, I, like as I said, with your research, like play... Like I know we talked, Massey spoke about it as well. Like it's, it's very important to get that... Like early, is it to get kids just being kids? Yeah, I have like the reason why, in terms of my research, why I wanted to do it was like children have always been a big part of my life in relation to coaching. I coach adults or I coach under sixes. I'll do workshops with groups in between, but I won't take an actual under 14 team or an under 16 team. Um, I will maybe if I was asked, but generally that dynamic of adults and children and how those can come together. So I'll do a, four, a session with four and five-year-olds. I'll do the same with an adult team. Just see what happens. You know, just to kind of throw a spot in the works. I'll do an adult session and I'll bring it back to four and five-year-olds. So that element of, you know, the fun and the enjoyment and just having imagination. And like the game is enjoyable. The game is play. You know, and like going back in terms of, just letting them at it and seeing what happens, you know, not being afraid to ask the question about why are we doing this? How are we going to do it? So around about tactical development, like skill development, uh, technical development, player, person, you can learn so much from play. And especially in relation with children, like the first aspect of them learning is, you know, like kicking in the room. That's the first technical skill to do. And Masi, I know you're, you're talking earlier on about in relation to your wife. So, you know, that element of uh, no matter what age the children is, if, even when they're still in the room, they're still moving. So that can be classed as play, you know, and whenever they are learning themselves, they'll learn to pull themselves up. Like, like adults, then when they get older, they'll start to do things for them. Children do it for themselves, seeing what happens, making sure they're safe, of course. That's the most important thing. But like a bit of risky play and rough and tumble play, 
doesn't harm anybody. And definitely in Rudy, there's a lot of risk in rough and tumble play, especially mainly because of the size and again, who he's up against. And, you know, especially when he does go to Notre Dame and he is on the walk-on squad and he's getting absolutely battered when he comes back. You know, and it's that innate enjoyment and, you know, that being inclusive as well with the coaches and the fact that, you know, Notre Dame, one of the, at that time, and still is in, in one sense, still allowed walk-ons, you know, that it's not all about scholarships and about the best players in high school. They will have athletes coming on and trying their best just to see what happens. Again, that element of having a go, you know, um, that social play, asking people, talking to people, like that, it all comes back to, you know, the game and let them play. Just let them play the game because it's it's a human right. It's not just this should be done. It's an international human right for children for play. So, you know, if we're not adhering to that, then technically we're breaking breaking the law. So. And Owen, you, you talked there about just letting them off and having it the risky environment where they are going to fail. Like, does the research say that that element of failure on their own and self-exploration is really how learning occurs and that's the best way of going about things or or what, what's being said? And, and I'm, I suppose I'm specifically talking about you were talking about one or six. So if, if, we talk about nursery for, for a second there. Is that the best way of going about it? Uh, that's a really good question, Paul. I wanna, um, I'll give you two things. So in terms of the rough and tumble risky play, they have to be safe. So making sure that they can't hurt each other or that they have a sense of rules. Now, normally they do anyway. Um, they know not to box ahead of each other. They know not to punch each other. Some of them do, some of them don't. Like once they do something, and if they're brought over the hot coals, for want of a better word, or they do hurt themselves, they do fall. Like it's not, it's it's life. It's going to happen. You know, you're going to have to get on with it and make sure that you're learning from it. But that balance of, you know, one or the other. So not too much of risk, but making sure that they're learning from it. So that seesaw effect of needs and wants in relation to the children's needs. So like for... I want them to be catching. They should be able to hold the ball tight. But if I'm doing an under six session, and this is where Rockland came in, Rockland didn't want me involved with any teams in my role. And that, that suited me fine. I would do workshops. But after about eight months, I wanted to get involved with the under six. So I had to put a presentation together hey, to say, listen, this is why I want to be involved with the under sixes. Because they said no initially. No, we, we said you're not going with a team. And I said, listen, they're not a team. For what, they're, they're a crowd of lunatics. They're a group of mishmash of abilities, of behaviours, of people, some of them don't even want to be there, but their mums and dads have brought them because of the Irish connection, the GA connection, and like they have to stay. But it was that connection with the parents was the main element. And plus I was that contact. They would get a sense of, uh, what the club is about with me. Now, my sessions at under six, it's complete organized chaos. And I have videos to prove it, but there's a reason and always a rationale behind it. So let's say an under six session. So that risk and kind of letting them out. One of them is handling. So my theme for the day would be handling. I'll give them a piece of equipment, whatever it is, balloons. And all I'll say is, show me what you can do. Now, if I said that to the three of you, Column, you're going to do something you're comfortable with. Paul and Massey, you're the exact same, and so am I. So, but it could be completely different skills. Might see kicking, catching, throwing, whatever. I might even see crawling along the ground, moving the ball with my head. I've seen that before. So then I'll bring it back and I'll say, okay, I want it to be around handling. So I'll say, okay, that's brilliant. Love all that creativity. I'm seeing so much stuff. Um, can we try, show me what you can do, but you must use your hands. Again, you might see solo and kicking out of your hands, holding the ball, bouncing the ball, throwing the ball. And the holding the ball is an interesting one because if a child doesn't feel they can kick it out of their hands or doesn't feel they can bounce it or throw it and doesn't want to run after it and they just want to hold it, in fairness, that's a pretty cute child because the child has thought, well, if I throw the ball from one end of the hall to the other, I'm going to have to run after it. So I'm not really going to have it in my hands. So I'll tell you what, I'm just going to walk about and hold it. Now, if that child is doing that, then I'm going to come around and hit the ball out of their hands. I'll hit it out of their hands. They'll go and they look at me, have a probably a, 
not a smile on their face anyway. They go over, catch the ball, get it again, and I'll come back and try and knock it out of their hands. If I knock it out of their hands the third time, I'm going to have to say to them, listen, hold it tight. But very rarely, the second time I go to hit it, they're going like that and turning away from me. So I don't have to hit it out of their hands. So already they're learning without me having to tell them. So they're comfortable doing that, and then I'll try and challenge them. So I'll try and challenge them just to throw it in different ways, throw it above their heads, try and catch it, whatever it is. But I'm still giving them an opportunity to be creative, to have that kind of let them at it, let them play. But again, it comes back to the needs and wants. Their wants is to play and have fun and play with their friends and use the equipment and have a ball each. But then the needs of what I kind of in relation to under six development plan, what we want under six to be able to do before the move up to under eight, you know, I have to balance that out. And nine times out of 10, you don't get everything, but I'll get the fundamental there that hold the ball tight, try not to give it away. If, and then look, we look at that tactical, I will do a tackle, tactical session with four-year-olds. So me and Paul are playing against each other. Colm and Mossy are playing against each other. I have a ball, Colm has a ball. Who is the attacker? And then I'll say, oh, uh, the person without the ball. I said, ah, think about that again. If I have the ball, what can I do? What can I do if I have the ball? How can I win the game? How can I get a score? And then they'll say, oh, use the ball. So I said, okay, yeah, tactical awareness, four-year-olds, whoever has the ball, they're the attacker. Whoever doesn't have the ball, defender. So you're creating that kind of game sense within them having to think about, you know, how they're improving in relation to the game, but they don't see that. They see it as fun games, toilet tag, all the um, tower ball, all the silly games that we play. They think they're silly. The parents definitely think they're silly when they first see it. But there's always a rationale. There's always a method of the madness behind it. I don't like telling people what to do. I like probing and, and kind of like um, uh, Mindy from the Animaniacs. Um, we would all be kind of around that age that remember Mindy and yeah. Bubbles from Animaniacs. And Mindy always asks why, asks four questions yeah. of why. And she's so cute. And everybody's, oh, you're so cute. That's wonderful. She asks why, they'll give an answer. She asks why a second time, they'll give an answer. Third and fourth way, they're starting to get a little bit annoyed. And then when they do get, when they're about to blow their top, okay, I love you, bye-bye. So that cuteness, <laughs> you know, and, and that's where kind of the curiosity is always there for me. And that's why I enjoy working with under sixes so much. Um, adults can annoy me sometimes. And like, I, I tell them that themselves. I'd rather work with adults and vice versa. But um, that curiosity and imagination but that letting them at it and seeing what happens. But again, there's kind of structure around that, making, as I said, making sure they're safe and making sure their the behaviors come back to that. So um, the more I get to know the group, the more I know that Colin Crowley and Mossy cannot go together because they're magnets and they will mess about. They'll box ahead of each other. They'll challenge each other. They'll just annoy everybody else in the group. So I'll try and keep them separate. Um, but I'll only know that after letting letting them at it and joining different groups um, and how I structure the sessions kind of in relation to that and being silly and making kind of pretend that I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just here for the gear, you know, and getting them ice all of the ball and it hits the roof and they all laugh at me. And then I said, well, why are you laughing? That's how I sold the ball. That's how I play Gaelic football. All right, smarty pants. Tell me how it's done. And then they don't hit it so high. Oh, yeah, that's a good. Oh, that's a good idea. So if I didn't kick it as high, if I solo, you think I'll do better? And then they're going, yeah, okay, let's try, let's have a go. Because I've seen people, I've seen some of the children do that, mm. and rather go to them and kind of say, oh, try this, that feed. And if they still don't get it, then I'll go over and help them. And but it's it's that curiosity and that um, sense of trying to kind of learn for themselves, but within a, a framework, not a structure, within a framework, because like, especially in relation to the game, 15 v 15, but once you cross that line, like you have, you really don't have much control. So it's up to the players to be, um, to be confident and be creative. And a framework around tactics allows that to happen. What if this happens, what will we do? If this happens, what, how will we set up? We would have done that with under eights in Rockland. Now, we would have done it through a pizza party and 
four of the players would be watching the video and the rest of them would be telling their friends, but we didn't care about that. It was just getting them to understand. What we want you to do is keep moving. We want everybody moving. Don't care. Don't stand still. Now, sometimes that happened that everybody was up front, everybody was defending, but they were all moving. And in the next session, we try and change a little bit, but it was all done through games. A lot of us pick the teams, let them at it, see what happens, but get them to question themselves and question each other about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how they're doing it. Your kids just want to be playing games all the time, don't they? They're, like, I, remember, I remember I was involved at the club there, and they were playing the first under-seven match. The first game ever was under-sevens. Um, say it was around March before they went to the following year. But um, the, the coaches and mentors are setting up the pitches. The players are all down in their jerseys. The other team arrived. While the teams are looking out, I, I stood back when the coach says, look what's going on. The kids had started the match themselves. The yeah. two different teams just started belting away the balls, whatever it was. Match had started. They didn't need any adults. They didn't need the, you know, a structured match, if you get me. It was just fantastic just to watch. And it's the same. Like, it goes on the schoolyards all the time. Like, yeah. The yeah. schools that let people play, obviously. And like children are resilient. They learn from falling on the ground. They learn how to pick teams, they learn how to call people's names or to need help. They, like, like even in school, if you're winning the match 7 or 8 nil, you come and say, okay, we'll swap players around. Children do that because they want a bit of competition as well. Yeah. Like, so just let them play. And they said, put the structures around it. And we would have been like that. Like, all of us would have played jumpers for goalposts when we were younger. And that kind of, that change in society as like the years passed and, you know, social media and all the, um, the gadgets that we all have now, that sense of play is lost a little bit. And there's a lot of research coming out now, especially in the last year because of the restrictions and because of the lockdowns about children's play and how it has been impacted because of the restrictions, but also reflecting on, well, what was it like before this? It's, this is not just a new phenomenon. This has been happening for quite a while. Um, and again, it's like, just let them play. They, they make up their own rules and like, and it's, you can learn so much about them. You'll see leaders, you'll see them being many coaches, many referees. They'll do the game themselves. As long as they're safe, as long as they're not battering the head of each other, you know, let them have it and enjoy it because it's good crack. Exactly. Yeah. And on, on the flip side of that, then you've got, uh, you're talking about kids and a bunch of lunatics, but like you, you've, as you said, you've worked with adults as well. How, like, what do you do to bring the play element into that or to keep it fun for them? Because, like, as you know, look, we've all worked with adult teams or players at that age, and it can become very regimental for them. Mm-hmm. And the GA all of a sudden is becoming, it said what they started 15 or 16 years ago is nearly completely alien to what they're doing now. Like, so what, what, what do you do with your, with your groups? Um, I'm, I'm with um, Shane Carter, Shane, STC, uh, former common goalkeeper, and St. Bridget's legend. Um, so, Having been involved with Shane and me and him and kind of how we kind of see the game, like we enjoy the game and it's a game. So everything that we do is game-based. Same as Paul Kinnerick, all his research, his phenomenal research. Gal Craig is doing his PhD in relation to small-sided games. So that benefit, because of my background, when I started coaching was soccer. And I hate the word soccer, I apologise, but football... Uh, and it was all game-based, it was all touch, it was all technical, it was all through small-sided games. And then I went to GA coaching when I was younger, and we played games, we played area leagues, which is great, but the coaching sessions were laps for a warm-up. Um, but that was never with football, with soccer, and it was all, um, it was more enjoyable. And then I always thought when I became a coach, I would have that game base because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as a coach. I get to know the players and how they react to situations. Um, normally, when I'm, when I'm refereeing those sessions and if we have enough players, we play 15 v 15 and I'll be horribly refereeing, pure badness, just to see what happens, just to see how they react to a bad foul or them not getting a decision because it's going to impact them on the Sunday or the Saturday whenever they're playing a match. And... Everything has to be through games for any any time any team I'm with, whether it's four or five year olds, especially adults. Um, now, that if 
where I've found some of the challenges is um, coaches before me haven't done that and it's been very technical and then they go and play a match and then they can't work out you know, around the system of play or the attack and play, defensive play, framework. Um, whereas myself and she and everything that we do in relation to our coaching sessions, we have autonomy so we can have a go at things, try things out, but it's within a specific framework. But that framework is related to the players that we have. Like I'm not going to do something and we're not going to have a framework and a system, systems of play and the players aren't able to put it into practice. Um, so then that's where our coaching comes in and it's a lot easier to do it in relation when you've, I like players who challenge me, um, who ask questions, why are we doing this? What's the point of that? I have no way, I have no issue with that. I would get worried if players are not asking those questions, are not thinking about why are we doing this? How is it going to impact us? How is it going to impact on the match? Because everything I do is related to that. It's what I'm doing, how it's impacting on my own coaching, but also who I'm working with. But why? What's my why? Why am I doing it? Why do I do everything I do? And that's from the research and from my own kind of uh, being involved in Leeds back. That just comes back to some of the reflections that we've had to think about. And reflecting is always a big part of kind of my own coaching, but I want to try and get that into the players that, you know, like Cormac McAnallen, God rest him. Um, I used to work with Cormac's brother, Donal, Dr. Donal, and he would have said when Cormac was younger and 14, 14, 15, he had a journal and he would be extremely hard on himself in terms of his performances about how he thought he played, but he was reflecting on what he was doing all the time training sessions, practice sessions, matches. And he had that basically bank of what, for want of a better word, resources built up. Now, because he was so hard on himself, you know, that probably might have created a dynamic that he mightn't have improved as much, but obviously we know kind of what he did achieve when he was um, a part of the throne, you know, minors, under 21s and seniors. But, you know, that sense of reflecting on what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and how I'm doing and how I'm going to improve is something that I feel is very important, especially for adult players, because you can take that into your own life. It doesn't have to be sport related, you know, in relation to your work or your relationships or how you act. You know, why, why am I doing that? Or like, taking a step back in a sense of just, you know, trying to get a sense of what is it that I want to achieve here? And in relation to adults, it's the game, just playing the game as much as we can, whether it's 1v1, and that is a game. Even with Rockland, as I said, we would have done games and um, with we would have asked the coaches to do uh, two sessions a week. Now, they would have done it two sessions a week. Even under sixes, we went two sessions a week. That was mainly for parents to come to at least one of them. And it was the same for all the other age groups. One of the sessions had to be games. And pick the teams, let them play. The second session was your coaching session, but it was done through games, through mini games. And then you play your game at the weekend. Now, some of our age groups, under eights, under tens, under twelves, would have five or six teams, seven and eight in the team, and it'd be five, seven, eight aside. But then other age groups, under 14, for example, because of Fela, they would have had maybe 10 at practice. And the coaches would say, well, how can I play a game? I say, 1v1. If I'm trying to score, that's a game. Don't have to be into a goal. If I'm trying to get past, if me and Paul, I'm fronting Paul up. I want to get past them. I get past them. Touchdown tag. I get a point. We swap over. See how many points. Who, who's, who's leading after about five minutes? And then me and Paul are going with each other against Colum and Mossy. So we're still playing against each other. But I have five points. Paul is four. We add that up. We have nine. How many do Colum and Mossy have together? So... That's the game element. And then you're still talking about attacking and defensive principles, technical play, but it's done through games. You know, it's not A to B um, line activities. I don't like the word drills. It, it's like nails down a chalkboard for me. Um, it's if you want to drill, go to B&Q, definition of a drill. You know, like drills in the army, that's what they were there for. It shouldn't be involved in sport, but the premise of a drill is an activity is getting them to learn something and have them playing against somebody or playing with somebody against another team mm. if that makes sense yeah. but yeah. everything is through the game all the time 
in relation to then the different coaches and your coaching group and utilizing all of the coaches in your coaching group, which is very important because every coaching group has a head coach and should have a head coach. But then the other coaches, what do they do and how do they kind of, what's their role within the session? And one of the, one of my, one of my many mentors, um, Philip Kerr from Derry, you'd be aware, all of you would be aware of him. Um, Philip is a player development, uh, player development coach and using the coaches in your group to bring everybody along in the journey, no matter what ability level they are. And because it's always the perceived better players who get all the attention and the perceived weaker players, but players of a different ability who find who struggle and maybe who find it more difficult. Now, what Philip talks about in that sense is he looks at Tom Brady, Steph Curry, and Nicholas Ondamendi. And those players, elite players earning fortunes, but they were still working individually with coaches. And it happens all the time. So why can't that happen at under six, eight, tens, whatever age group you're working with? But do a little bit of reverse psychology. So normally, and again, it's happened when I was coaching and when I started, when Philip talked about his rationale, saying it was light bulb moment. Because instead of asking the perceived players who needed more help coming out first and working with the coaches, it was the better players who came out first. And that, I asked him, well, why, why was that? But why are you taking out the better players to work individually first? And he said it was to create that sense of, oh, Colin Crowley, one of the best players that we have on our team, he's going out to work with Massey. Oh, whoa. Owen Mooney needs a lot of help. He's maybe the youngest in the age group or has just started. So then when Owen goes out to the coach, I don't feel as if I'm the worst player in the group because Colin's going out before me. So I see it as a learning opportunity then. And the players don't realise that, but it's that mindset of, listen, we're all a group. We're all here to improve you, to improve you as a player, improve you as a person. And your coaching group is very important in that. So one person is looking after the session. And then your other coaches, if you know you can do a player development night, that they pull out players during the session to work individually with them, put them back into the game, just to see how it runs. And his rationale for doing it was class because it gave a sense of no matter who you are, no matter what your ability is, you're going to come out and you're going to work individually with the coaches. And it created that sense of, you know, more of a team dynamic, I would say, because, you know, there wasn't that kind of um, those groups of the better players and, you know, those little clicks that might happen in groups because of that. And even though American football and, Amer and they have specialised teams for that and, you know, the work with the players, that element to bring it back to Gaelic games, using your coaching team, utilising the coaches at your disposal as much as you can for the player to that, but also for the coaches themselves. Because if they're not, you know, if they're not coaching, then, you know, what's the point in having them there? Mm. You know, how are you going to improve themselves that will then improve your club, that will then improve your community going forward? You know, it's not just about the players um, in your, the players in your care, it's about the coaches in your care because then that's going to impact on the club. That's going to impact on the whole community. It's not just, you know, a, a small entity. I think there's enough focus on that, on the how, how important the coaches are. And we always think about mm -hmm. developing the, the players constantly, whereas the, the much bigger impact is, like we'll say that that way Rockland looked at you of, of developing the coaches rather than developing the players. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's just that, that, much wider, just much wider net that's that's being spread all the time. One of the one of the ways that one of the best ways that we that Rockland did that, um, it caused a little bit of issue to start. <laughs> so I'm the games development officer, Colin, Paul, and Massey. You are the under twelve coaching group. Um, you want me to do a workshop? I put it in the diary. I'm doing a workshop with your team, but all of you have to be there. And half an hour before the session, I'm there. I set it up. Mossy and Paul are there. But Colm is coming out of the city and rings me up and said, I'm not going to be there on time. Um, can you still run the session? 
And I said, no, the session is for you three coaches, the players of the guinea pigs, Massey and Paul will take the session and I'll watch it on purpose. And that doesn't happen again because that date is set in stone. It's not the players, it's not to develop the players. It's to give the coaches, you know, a, a framework or some different activities, different games that we can do with them. Or because of the resources that um, kind of put into Rockland, like some of the things that they were seeing on the resources and that they were involved in doing and coming up with, like the, trying to put it onto the training ground then and trying to put it onto the pitch was difficult for them. So I'll say here, listen, this is toilet tag. This is a touchdown tag. This is um, obviously a circle score, all of those different games. And they got to see how I structured the session, how I picked the teams, how I kind of dealt with discipline. But they had no in, input in the session whatsoever. They were on the outside looking, and I would ask them to watch from different angles, not just chatting with each other. And um, if they didn't want to, that was fine, but just walk around session outside, see what's happening, see from a different angle what it looks like. Um, maybe bring some of the players out and ask them, you know, a few questions if you want. But I ran the session, they watched, and then I would ask them to kind of kind of do some of those activities themselves and how they found them, reflect on it as well. But we would have done we done that with Ulster G in, in terms of the Denny program. We would do a session in schools, and then the teachers would repeat that session. And then we'd ask the teacher the following week when we come back in, how'd the session go for you? You know, and it's that sense of kind of like half the time if the session is rubbish for them, then they'll tell me that's and they've reflected on that because they thought it wasn't as good as they thought it was, which actually means it probably was because that Irish kind of mentality. How'd it go for you? What went well? Oh, I didn't really enjoy that. I don't think that went no, no, no. This is the question. What went well? Oh, I wasn't sure about that. I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> last time, last question. What went well? So that kind of um, positive reinforcement is always extremely important for players, but also for coaches too. Sorry, going back on one of the things you said there on about uh, when you're going out in a workshop with a coach, like it's, it's something that all coach developers are asked is, will you come out and do a session there with lads? And a lot of the time, as you said, the three or four mentors will go over and they'll stand on the sideline. One of them might be smoking a fag. One of them might be watching the match and the pitch behind them. And really, you're coming out just taking a session for them so they can have a night off. Um, but what, what, what would you consider best practice in that situation? Like, my role in Rockland and my role with us Jay was different because we would have been working in those clubs mm. and we would have done, you know, a multitude of sessions, games development plans, etc. So we were building up a bank of res resources, a bank of opportunities for them to improve. Coming once and doing a session is a waste of time. Um, you know, it's if I'm involved in a club and I'm involved in, you know, if they want me to do a session or a webinar or a workshop, it's not just one, it's three or four. And it doesn't have to be, like, it doesn't have to be an actual physical workshop on the pitch. Some of it, especially now, like the way we are now, there's um, a few clubs kind of would contact me and I do kind of Zoom calls like this. How are you getting on? More of a community of practice um, mm -hmm. type element of, well, is there anything specific that um, you want to work on? Or is there anything specific that you want from me? But that element of one, one a once-off kind of workshop, it, it is a waste of time. Now, it's not a waste of time if they're extremely in tune with what you're doing and they're, you know, they're taking notes and they're, you know, you give them the plan and why you're doing it and the rationale for doing it and the theory behind what they're going to see on the pitch. So I just don't land up, set up and then play. Um, there's always, as I said, there's a method to the madness. Mm. But there has to be a structure of kind of of development there and one maybe two sessions is not enough because that learning like it could be six months down the line when you know they've seen your session they've tried something out and then it doesn't work and then they've tried it again it does work like you know that that kind of uh, long-term development is very important in terms of like Irish sport and UK like there's loads of different uh, people say about listen, we want long-term development, but they don't have the patience for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we want players from their six to become and take part and play for the adult team, 
but then they'll go and they'll put all their work into the under 12 team because they're the best team. Like yeah. that's rubbish. Yeah. That like that element of player development, it's not just a one size fits all, it's a patience, it's having a plan in your head and a constant adaptive plan to that because players are going to change, coaches are going to change, the club is going to change over 10 or 15 years. So, you know, it has to be run like a business in a sense. You know, there has to be responsibility, accountability, and definitely in Rockland. Like, if you weren't, if you, like, if you were the PRO and you weren't doing what you're supposed to do, then you get somebody in to replace you. You know, you had to report and you know, that sense of filling roles for the sake of filling roles. Um, and I know what happens in a lot of the clubs because of capacity and support, you know, a lack of maybe. But having patience and having the long-term development of the person, more, more importantly, but then the club as a whole, which is going to then positively impact on the community going forward. Yeah, yeah. Like I know the Linster uh, Tourist Programme is kind of something what you're saying, in that there's, there's a follow-up programme to what to do. So if I come out to your club in January, I'm coming back again in March or April, I'm working with the same group of mentors, and again in July or August, and again towards the end of the year where that kind of follow-up. But I think it's important that mentors don't just, if they do get somebody out to do a session, that there's a reason for it. It's not just, ah, here, give us a night off. Because a lot of the time, that's how it's taken. Um, and it's important that they, I suppose, mentors try to get more long-term value out of it. Like, it, it just as well on that, like, when you talk about mentors bringing in a coach to do that one-off coaching session with their players, that can actually be detrimental long-term. Because yeah. that coach comes and, like a performer giving a concert, He's only throwing out, or she's only throwing out her greatest hits, like you know, yeah. and that can have the effect of uh, of the players going. Well, she's you know what, that this fella's after coming in, or this girl's after coming in. She's after doing a great session. What's Paul O'Brien at like? You know, yeah. Paul O'Brien is here and he does this and that, and that doesn't really do it for me, and that could be detrimental. Yeah, you know, so yeah. everything like everything. As as you you've talked about long, there has to be. Oh, sorry, yeah, you've talked about. Oh, there has to be intention and reason and logic behind everything that's happening. Yeah, there has to be a purpose to it about why you're doing it and actually following through on that. And I think I think that's probably one of the big challenges in coach education within the GA is that like the people we're talking about upskilling are volunteers mm-hmm. and they've only so much time to give and and they've only so much let's say ability like that. Like uh, you spoke about Ulster GA earlier, and, and I know that like when we were in Dublin, the other three of us, we, we used to the in services used to be, like I think we used to get eight about eight or ten days a year of real yeah. quality upskilling opportunities us, for us as a coach, and and like that's if we're getting that as coaches as professionals, um, like we can't expect the the fellow who's up there once a week or twice a week to be able to you know who's got a full time job family at home blah blah blah. To be able to, so we got to be able to get the best bang for our buck in the in the time, and that is, I think, that's probably the greatest challenge in the coach education within the GA um, currently. But I don't know anything else on the film before we wrap it up, because like I think one of the things that stood up for me as well was the like you can see well, there was a couple of things. One was the different coach when he had the coach and the coach made an agreement, yeah, we'll suit you up next year, and then the coach changed, and that yeah. can happen a lot of times for the good of a player or for the bad of a player, where. I suppose a coach needs to build up trust for players a lot of the time. And it's easy for me to go down and look at the team and go, oh, Jesus, man, definitely, he's the best player here. And the coach is standing there going, oh, yeah, but sure, he only comes to once out of every three sessions. And if things go bad for him in a match, he's not a good team player, you know, um, and things like that. And the other thing I liked as well was the, the bit of, I suppose, the, the leadership from the captain um, towards the end when he, he hung up his jersey and he said, he said, I'm, I want Rudy to have my jersey. And I suppose it just alluded to a kind of a, an elitism that's within all sports. And it's, it's a kind of a rite of passage that some players, they're on the team every single day, every single week uh, for the whole year. But for, for, some, for the odd player then, just getting a start in a competitive mm. match is such a huge thing. Or even just being tugging out for a team, you know, like it could be the fellow who makes a school team, number 30, or it could be a fellow who gets invited to a development squad trial. That might be the pinnacle of his career as regards him maximising it. 
but I suppose we have to be conscious of not taking those opportunities for granted for the the the, the lesser runs, let's say. And those, if you look at it in another way, those kind of players that you know, it's just about kind of making the squad. Those are the players that make kind of the sessions enjoyable because they're there. They're they give you extra capacity in terms of what you can do during a coaching session. They challenge the players who are starting all the time, you know, and without them, then the players who are starting all the time technically won't be the players that, you know, they are because they're not getting that challenge and that sense of, okay, listen, we're going to have to be on our game here today because, you know, these players are here. They want to be involved. They want to take my jersey. And, you know, that sense of not taking it for granted because somebody else will easily step in. No, I thought, like, just the will of the player never to give up and he got yeah. his he got his reward at the end like I said if you have that child who's coming down to every training session and they mightn't be as talented as their peers but they still have that enthusiasm the love of game the love of playing like I think this should be especially in GA especially younger levels they have to be rewarded in some way by playing a match, playing with the, the A team if they're under 12s or whatever it is, just you know, a few minutes here. And I said it might be the highlight of their sporting careers. And they, like again, especially at under you know, it's mm. not about even the minor, like it's not about winning mm. leagues and championships. It's the minors are going to prepare for the adults, the seniors, ladies, and men's. Mm. Like those players taking them on that journey, taking them on that conveyor belt from under six right the way up. Seeing them come over, overcome those obstacles, as you said, Massey, but, you know, um, how, you know, lucky they are as well to be involved in sport, you know, and not to take it for granted and how it's going to impact on their life, how it's going to impact on their relationships, you know, what they can learn from it. It's so important. And the role of your role as a coach is to, you know, enhance that and kind of create, create that environment and that understanding of, listen, I'm here to enjoy. I'm here for you to enjoy yourself, you know, and let's see what happens, you know. So that friendship, you know, those, um, again, those relationships, those experiences come back. And that's what sport is. Sport is relationships. You know, sport is enjoyable. And whether, you know, when you are overcoming um, kind of hurdles, that's sometimes the most enjoyable part of it yep. is when things don't go well and you have a, kind of achieved something that's, you thought was extremely difficult. You got there, you got to the top of the mountain, you know, and that you were... You, you got know, over... Learned from, learned from yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Paul, anything add on the film? Yeah, just um, the relationship he had with his friend Pete, who yeah. he in the steel mill with. I think Pete had the best line in the, in the film. He said, having dreams is what makes life tolerable. Yeah. Like, and it's a really great one for trying to get people who aren't quite there yet another couple of meters or kilometers down that down that pathway of, of where you're looking for them to to get to and I thought it was I thought that was really really powerful and then the other great line was from his other so we'll say he had three big friendships in it and um, one was with John Favreau who I thought was a bit of crap. Really like John Favreau. Yeah. But it was it, it wasn't a great role for him, but <laughs> the, the one with Fortune, the, the groundsman, when yeah. he was close to finally giving up. He, he got so close to where he was looking to get to. And then he like he says, you're five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing, no athletic ability, but like you're still mm. going, like you know. And mm. Like I thought their relationship was massive because he was such a mentor to him, like with the key and giving him yeah. the job and never really saying, Yeah, well done, kid. But it was it was more in his actions and his, his empathetic manner and helping him that was that was really powerful. Um and then like like there was the Adidas boots. <laughs> <laughs> I have to put it in there, you know. Debbie, um, going back to that, going back to uh, Charles S. Dutton, um, kind of plays fortune, brilliant actor, but again, that, that kind of um, sense of, you know, he was a role model for him. Yeah. You know, he, he gave him that rope, kind of, technically part of it, he was breaking in sometimes in the stadium and having to sleep, but, but you know, he, he allowed that to happen because he could see 
you know, how he was improving, what he wanted to do. And he could see, I think, kind of, Fortune could see a little bit of himself in Rudy, um, you know, yeah. overcoming his own obstacles in terms of um, racism, and especially at that time when he was kind of playing for Notre Dame and hadn't been on the bench. He talks about kind of, uh, he rode the bench for two years. You know, so that element of kind of, he had overcome serious obstacles, more probably more difficult obstacles than Rudy had. Um, but he was still involved in the Notre Dame community. Yeah. And, you know, that community element of why he really wanted to be involved in, again, like, he had his own issues, but, you know, it, it was the relationships that he had. John Favreau was class in it because why the two of them got together was Rudy um, could had the... Uh, could talk to the ladies and you know could kind of John Favreau the character just didn't have that kind of um <laughs> confidence and mm. mindset and mm. the gift of the gab type thing mm. so you know they you know they um used each other in a way yeah. as well mm. yeah that was good um, there was a, there was two scenes I really enjoyed in it um the scene where he's in the dressing room for the first time and he stands up in a chair and does the commentary and it's just it's just like living his dream like to be there I thought it was brilliant and then he does, and he does that commentary at the start of the film at the start it? of the film yeah as a young lad and then the, when they're having the first game of the season it's probably the biggest game of the season and he's working with the he's working at Notre Dame and he doesn't get a ticket for the match a bit like say uh, yeah. like a GPO or a GDA not getting a ticket for the final oh 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 but I thought that was uh, I thought that was brilliant, and then uh, Vince Vaughn was in it as well. Which yeah, was just a um, that good, was yeah. actually one of his first film. Um, yeah. uh, the the priest in it, um, Father Father Kavanagh, um, uh, Robert uh, Pro, Robert Prosky, I think it is. Mm. Uh, he was a great character as well. He reminded me of uh, you know one of the priests from our own parish back home. Um, huge Liberty supporter. Uh, went to all the Star Trek and Star Wars conventions in America, um, and just. He, he was the complete opposite of what a priest was when I was younger. Yeah, and yeah. the Robert Prosky character is kind of similar to that in terms of he understood where Rudy was coming from, yeah. trying to help him as much as he could and, and would give him guidance um, in relation mm. to that. So that was a that was a good relationship too. Um, and kind of how, how Rudy's father as well in that difficult relationship, yeah. but how he was always trying to impress him, even though it was a difficult relationship. I think we alluded to that before. I think a classic Irish father-son relationship. Thanks, yeah. Um, well, here, it, it, the relationship I'd be most concerned with in the film was his brother going off with his ex-girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it, like that was brushed over in like fifteen seconds. Yeah. Was she actually the ex at that time, or were they still? No, uh, she was an ex. No, she was an like, ex. They were going buying a house together. Like, yeah, yeah six months previous. Yeah, <laughs> like. Oh, she must have yeah. some of the some of the help with the mortgage. I'd say. I'd say <laughs> it was an episode for Jerry Springer. That I think. Yeah. 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 It, it, like, again, just because of, I know obviously we talked about it, it was Hollywood eyes because of obviously the nature of it and those twenty five seconds, and, but like the players that were like Joe Montana was on that squad, you right. know, um, all like at that time and kind of in terms of uh, Rudy himself. Dan Rudiger, the real Rudy, you know, he has, in fairness, milked the film, mm -hmm. but he's actually in the film a little bit as well. He kind of does a little bit of a, uh, a cameo role. Um, but his sense of those 25 seconds, um, but again, all of the obstacles he overcame um, in terms of his dyslexia as well, you know, and how mm -hmm. that impacted his academic life and his his grades and obviously in terms of the American system if you go to if you go to college in America and you play college sports your education is top like you're you mightn't become a professional if your grades aren't there or like if you're very fortunate to be like you run James and get scouted from high school um, but education is big in terms of college sports in America so you know the fact that that education sporting um, conundrum and how um, Rudy himself kind of overcame, you know, those obstacles to go and play and get an education, and get a degree, you know, was was huge and it teaches a lot in terms of, you know, parents and how to achieve your goals. Big time. Um, I don't think I don't think we've any coached, right? I think Fortune was no. the person had the most influence. So 
I think we leave the rating off. But um, on before you go, I know you've you've got your own podcast up and running and active. Do you want to give a plug for that there for our listeners? Thanks, Gollum. Um, uh, the podcast is now the it's still the uh, Icons Kids podcast with Omerni, but it's been rebranded now. So if you want to hear any more about it and to kind of be involved in it or to listen to it search iCoach Kids Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts and follow iCoach Kids World on Twitter and Instagram as well as Facebook as well. Um, all of the podcast now is, is going to be on the iCoach Kids World um, social media platforms. Really, really looking forward to kind of great opportunity that I had thanks to Sergio Larbercial and iCoach Kids and all the partners involved in that in relation to my research. So um, great opportunity and it's it's good fun it's 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 different to be a guest on a podcast so to be on the other side of the mic um so huge thanks lads for um, thanks, for man. discussing the film and discussing coaching as well oh thank you Owen. that was fantastic thank yeah. you thanks very much for time on and what we'll do is we'll tag your twitter and stuff and uh, when we when we get it up and running so uh, thanks very much bye Top class, lads. thanks lads thanks Take lads care. see you there thanks for joining us today please rate and review this podcast on your favorite platform and if you enjoyed it tell a friend you may also want to follow us on twitter and instagram at roy orbison tattoo and we appreciate any likes retweets comments or suggestions for future viewings next week we will be watching kicking and screaming and we'll have shane o'hanlon wexford gda with us the show will be available first thing tuesday morning as always thanks everybody